Warning, the following episode of Orsini's Uncensored Mind contains explicit language and adult content. The thoughts and opinions stated on the show are reflective of A.J. Orsini and his guests exclusively. But seriously, guys, the show's called Uncensored. If you got a problem with bad language, I really don't give a shit. Once upon a time, as I began my career, I looked up to those who set the example in which to pattern my career. I always wanted to strive to be the very, very best. And in order for you to do that, you've got to analyze and you've got to find out who the best is and either emulate or compete. I decided to emulate. I decided to follow the guy who was doing the best, best work in the business. And that guy's name is the one... The only Larry Legend. And I get to speak with him here on our CD's Uncensored Mind. Welcome to our series on Friends of Mind, and now your host, AJ O'Seal. How the hell is everybody out there? Turn the mic down just a smidge. My goodness. How the hell is everybody out there? This is your boy. This is your main man. Your Jaff Soul brother from another mother. This is your host. Of Orsini's Uncensored Mind. I am AJ Orsini, and I am Sons. Brother Dave today, because uh, no co-host needed for the day. Uh, I, this was kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing. Uh, we are uploading this on, let me catch the date specifically here, uh, the 9th. Uh, this is going up on the 9th, and I uh, I recorded this uh, before that. Somewhere around, uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was New Year's Day or the 2nd. Uh, I was on holiday break, as many of you know, as we talked about last week. I was on holiday break along with my brother. He was also on holiday break. We took off some time from the show to do some family things. But part of the holiday season is not only reaching out to your family, but reaching out to your friends. And I got a chance to reach out to a particular someone. We were talking about merch and different things about the business and he had a shirt for sale that I was interested in getting, and we just started yapping away at each other, catching up on some old times, because here we are during a pandemic, and I really haven't had a chance to see a lot of my wrestling brethren, so we got a chance to catch up a little bit, and we got to talking, and the next thing you know, we were hitting the record button, and we started talking, and we started. I started interviewing, and it turned into an episode. It was a spur-of-the-moment conversation, or as Cornette would say, on the sperm of the moment. We were just talking and yapping, and then we uh, just kind of got it done. And uh, I didn't want to bother Dave. I didn't know what he was doing. Again, I was trying to capitalize on the momentum. It was kind of a heat-of-the-moment conversation. So I recorded it, and I wanted to put it out as an episode. He agreed. Uh, so we're good to go. Um, before we get into the actual episode, which I'm going to post up in a second, I want to remind everybody once again, brand new episodes of Orsini's Uncensored Mind weekly, every week, with the exception of the holiday week that just took place. This is one of the first times I ever deliberately, three years I've been doing this, it's the first time I ever deliberately took a week. And uh, we explained last week what all the thought process was going into that, but 
This show is very consistent. Every week, Saturday, 9 p.m., unless I'm having a technical issue, and then Sunday, like we just had a few a few weeks before that, uh, leading into the holiday, but pretty consistent, actually. Saturday, 9 p.m., ajoum.podbean.com is where you can catch up-to-date uh, episodes and the previous ones. Every episode, episode 1 to all the way right now to episode 172, all on Podbean. That is the main site in which I upload my uh, my episodes on. But I have many other platforms that carry the show. iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, you name it. Google Play Music. I mean, you name it. It's all over the place. I'm on Pandora now. Hello. Uh, I'm everywhere. So I'm, instead of naming these platforms like I used to do, I'll just take a page out of somebody else's book and say, uh, or CDs Uncensored Mind can be caught wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Uh, we are predominantly a pro wrestling podcast, obviously, but we dabble in other topics. But this particular episode is an interview that I had with a good buddy of mine, Larry Legend. This guy is one of the best in the business today and has been one of the best in the business for well over a decade now. Uh, this guy, and you'll hear more about it in the interview, but this guy has been very influential in my career. Um, he was the veteran when I came in and uh, very much uh, takes that job very seriously. He looks to be a leader. He always uh, positive attitude, always a good guy, never a guy to hold back any talent or anything like that. This guy was the real deal. And uh, I'm honored and privileged to have had him on my show. I've been waiting to do this for a while. This was a good one. So check it out here, guys. Uh, one more thing before we pass on to to the Larry Legend interview. He mentions on the show, remember we recorded this about two weeks ago, and it didn't dawn on me that... He promotes an event that he's going to be a part of um, on the 9th, which is today, <laughs> or when this is being uploaded. So uh, there are other things that he promotes, and you should check it all out, but apologies for not getting the episode out uh, sooner. We had a Wrestle Kingdom show last week. I had to I had to do the Wrestle Kingdom stuff, so I apologize for not getting it out sooner, but he's got a lot of events. So does ICW coming up down the pipeline so check them out as soon as you can and uh so here oh wait uh i have an event <laughs> that i'm gonna be a part of in february gsw i mentioned it last week made the announcement i'm gonna be joining up with gsw a brand new promotion out in south jersey gswpro.com check them out global syndicate wrestling they got a big event coming up on fight tv in february you're gonna be seeing this mug live on demand streaming uh, so check them out as well. Lots more to talk about. We'll get into it next week as we do our Russell Kingdom review. I cannot wait to hear what Brother Dave has to say about Russell Kingdom. He's never seen Russell Kingdom before, ever. I think this is the first time he's seeing a New Japan event ever in his life. So I cannot wait to hear him review what he saw, what he liked about it, what he didn't like, all the good stuff. That's next week. We're going to be doing Russell Kingdom. We would have done it this week, but i got to get Larry in. This was important to me to get Larry on this show. means a lot that he took the time to do this. I'm, I'm, uh, it's unfortunate that I had to wait a week to put it up. I'm not usually that patient with shit, but I knew this would be good, and it was. You'll enjoy this. This is fun. So uh, check out all the stuff that Larry's doing. Check out my stuff. Here it is, folks. The episode 172, the Larry Legend interview. It's good stuff, man. Good stuff. Hey, guys. AJ Orsini here, and I am with... A very, very special guest today. This is episode 172, and I, I've i been waiting for a while to get a chance to talk this in, to this individual. I've had the privilege 
of working side-by-side side with this individual. Some might say he slightly, for a little bit there, put me under his wing there a little bit. Uh, but I've never really had a chance to get to know this individual as well as I would like. Tonight, I get that special honor. I get the opportunity to, to talk to somebody who uh, I've looked up to in the industry for a long time. I know that people always say that I'm very helpful with their careers and very uh, in-depth with people and conversating about their careers, but this is a gentleman that's legitimately helped me in mine. So this is a, a big privilege, a big honor of mine. This guy's been all over the place. If you know anything about ring announcing, he's one of the first names that come up. And this is coming from a ring announcer. <laughs> this is one of the top guys. This is one of the best in the business. Uh, it's my honor and privilege to introduce to you guys Larry Legend. Larry, are you in the house right now? I am in the place to be. Thank you for that intro from one colleague to another one. You got to you gotta set the table, you know, <laughs> and, and that's, that's what you just did with that. You laid it all out for him. So thank you for that, and thank you for having me. If I was to run, normally when I introduce someone, I run down the whole resume, but I have resisted the urge to do so because I, I'd like to talk to you more about that resume because you've got quite a resume. You just mentioned off the air a second ago. You've been in the game 18 years in the biz so there's a lot. I mean, we'd have, we'd be here all day breaking it all down. So I'll just do the cliff notes. But you you've been around for a while. You've done this for a minute. My first question right off the bat: Have you ever met Larry Bird? You know, I have never met Larry <laughs> Bird, but my uh, my career has taken me all over the New England area. That's true. And um, it's it's some of the. I'm always very excited to go to whether it be Watertown, Mass, or Worcester, Lowell wherever it is, um, in the New England area. But I always, always in the back of my mind have this trepidation about, you know, I know that in How the sports echelon, there are no fans like Bostonians, there are no fans like Philly, you know, those those cities, they go hard for their, their mascots, their alma maters, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I've always had a little trepidation about uh, introducing myself as your ring announcer for the evening, Larry Legend, because <laughs> yeah. if there's any place that that's going to come up to some contention, it's going to be oh, in the New England area where the great Larry Bird uh, uh -huh. hails from. But no, I have never I have never been privileged enough in my walks of life in the, you know, sporting, uh, you know, realms to do anything really with basketball. I once went to the... Um, Oh, what's it called? The uh, the Barclays Center for an open open call audition for the Brooklyn Nets announcer, oh. and um, that was um, that was my one sort of kind of you know into the kind of backstage area of one of the premier arenas. Right now, I've for a while I've gotten a chance to work a lot of places, but the Barclays Center is definitely on my list of a an arena that I would love to you know bellow in for you know whatever the cause and i kind of got that it was an audition i was quickly dismissed because i really don't know much about basketball uh but no i've never gotten an opportunity to meet the great larry bird also known as larry the legend uh as any google search will uh you'll soon find out but no i've never met him i would love to and if i didn't meet him i'd let him know that um growing up he was my favorite basketball player because i was born in 81 to date myself and you know in the early 80s and mid 80s and early 90s there weren't too many larry you know yeah. that name larry there weren't too many larry's out it's there that were kind of like you know people revered larry was not a name that was kind of revered 
like a Michael, you know, Michael Jordan, Mike, Mike Tyson, right. Michael, Jackson. Mike, Michael Jackson, you know, you got all these Michaels out there and they, you know, you, they, when you, people can be proud of that name, if not, but for no other reason than it's shared by one of the greats. Right. And um, at a very early age, I, I learned that Larry Bird was one of the greats of, of the NBA. And, um, you know, I, um, I said, you know what, because we share that name, he's my favorite. And I always rooted for him. Um, I always wanted to play as Bird in, in uh, what was it, Magic Johns or Lakers versus Celtics, whatever that game was. You know, um, yeah. I repped that name Larry because I am one. Exactly. You're but probably. no, never got to meet him yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. You travel. You're still traveling. That's not. That's not. This is not a momentarium on your career. You're still going strong here. There's plenty of time on the clock. I just figured that that would be a good opener because I'm just curious. It's one of the first things I thought of when I first met you. I was like, "Oh, Larry Legend!" Like over there, because I'm a huge sports guy. So it's the first right. thing that popped in my head. I was like, "Oh man!" Uh, I have to tell people right now, from the very moment that I met you to even today. Uh, regardless of what it is you experience backstage, and as a fellow ring announcer, I know how hectic and how stressful that could be. But I got to be honest with you. I think one of the reasons why I attached myself to you so much during the course of these shows is just your positive demeanor. There, you're just, you're just, no matter how hot that collar is, no matter how much pressure is on you, you never really took it out on anybody around you. When you get in that ring, there's something that switches on with you that very few people experience. I mean, there's a lot of people that do our job thinking, oh, this is easy, easy, I'll just go in there and do whatever. But there's a different type of, I say, enthusiasm that goes with a performance like ring announcing. It just, in a broad sense, not so much the wrestling, we'll leave that to the side, just in a broad sense. Because I'm reading over some of your information here, and I'm getting a, I'm getting a pattern here. How important is entertaining to you as a person how 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 do you you know how much do you love the aspect of being an entertainer well i mean i gotta tell you i have a background in you know uh theater and mm -hmm. um you know some film training and um but there was nothing like there was nothing that hooked me and my attention and my passion more than the uh, the pieces of wrestling that weren't the wrestlers when I was growing up. So, I mean, like, your Bobby the Brain Heenans, Jesse the Body Ventura, Gorilla Monsoon, um, early Vince McMahon, all of the um, the agents like Pat Patterson and, and Gerald and, uh, you know, T.J. Strongbow and Rene Goulet, all of those types of you know category other uh that were in wrestling were really what i feel like hooked me even more than like the big boss man versus hulk hogan oh, okay. um and that's like kind of like really i'd say when my, my my attention started to turn to like i like wrestling around the time that boss man and hogan were fighting on saturday night's main event but again what I seemed to enjoy more or what I was entertained by more were these um, supporting characters who were kind of like the narrators or, you know, the uh, storytellers, you know, I don't, I don't, the, the Greek chorus, you know, of the mm -hmm. fight. And um, that has carried me into even 
wanting to go by the moniker of Larry Legend because immediately when you hear that name, an expectation is set for what you're about to receive. And I feel like that, to take it back to your first question about meeting Larry Legend and always having that trepidation when I would go to New England, like yeah. with those types of fans, would anyone find out that that's what I was called and like take some exception to it? I've been fortunate enough to be able to back up the name Larry Legend, just oh, like 100%. to this day, Jim Cornette is able to back up the name of Cornette, you know, in a whole new fashion and medium. So, um, yeah, it, it, the entertainment is it's the utmost thing to hook and keep the fans staying. You, there's always going to be a Hulk Hogan, a rock, a big, strong, big muscle guy doing something. There's not always going to be a Paul Heyman. And those individuals, it's important that we cultivate them and make sure that they understand the importance of like a Stokely Hathaway, you know, just to name, you know, some that are kind of current and relevant right now and, and making strides for themselves. Right. So it's, it's of the utmost importance to me, the entertainment factor. And it's what really hooked me all those years ago to get out of the crowd and into the involved. Some of that uh, acting background, correct me if I'm wrong, George Washington Carver Center for Arts and Technology? Yes, so in Baltimore City, where I am from, that's where I'm born and raised, from Baltimore, mm -hmm. um, there is, there is a, a world-recognized school called the Baltimore City School for the Arts. And um, it's just one of those schools that just has so many people giving them money because they have produced so much talent, just to name a few. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith went there, and uh, Tupac Shakur also went to the Baltimore City School for the Arts. So that's enough to hang your hat up on. But and Larry Legend. I lived in, well, no, 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 no. Oh, Here's no? the thing. Okay. I, lived in, I lived in Baltimore County, okay? Oh. So the bureaucracy of, like, county city limits it actually uh it would have cost me to go to the world-renowned baltimore city school for the arts it would have cost tuition oh. and um although my family probably could have afforded that um there was a sister school there was a sister school to the baltimore city school for the arts that was a a magnet school a magnet school where you have like a prime like dance or you know art you know visual arts or music or cosmetology and you know also things like trades like carpentry and uh welding you know were the were the magnets and then you had the regular baltimore you know maryland state curriculum for the other part of the day but there was a heavy emphasis at magnet schools for kind of like leading leading kids in the right direction and not just sending them out into the world to figure it out so my background in theater and speaking and presentation uh, started very early on in my life. Mm. It just so happens that when I moved to New York, when I was attending New York University, that my teachers there kind of told me that, you know, all of this stuff is well and good, you know, the, the, the stage and the screen and movies, but you really have to listen to what's in your heart. 
Whatever's in your heart is what you have to really follow. And sometimes that's not always like law and order or, you know, Denzel Washington and August Wilson's Fences on, in Broadway. Now, out of those things that I just mentioned, those are, you know, critically acclaimed, yeah, I love fences. Uh, you know, performances and um, critically acclaimed, you know, just things in the, in the world of entertainment. But there's also pro wrestling in the world of entertainment. Very true. And although pro wrestling is not really kind of taken that seriously by the masses, there's a lot of people who take pro wrestling serious. And I just kind of opened my eyes to the fact that just because, you know, there's the Academy Awards and there's a group of stuffed shirt people who deem this performance as the one that's the most, you know, riveting or compelling or cathartic, although there's that, there's also a little kid like me, like when I was, uh, like seven or eight years old, that's watching, you know, the big boss man versus Hulk Hogan and just loving everything that Jesse the Body Ventura is saying, is (laughs) imitating everything that Gorilla Monsoon is, when, when I'm playing with my figures, that's, that was what was coming out of me. So... I really kind of made a decision to drop out of college and stop sort of pursuing this path that would lead me to like a movie or, you know, a Broadway musical. And I, I started to follow my heart, which was um, in my passion. And that was more like the performance and the entertainment that came from pro wrestling. Um, and, you know, the rest is, is kind of history. Was there a particular moment? Every time that I have guests on, I try to pinpoint it. There was an exact, because there's a difference between being a fan of pro wrestling and then all of a sudden making the decree, okay, I'm, I'm pursuing this. This is a job that I want to have now. Is there a particular moment that stands out in you where you were like, oh, I got to do this? Like, I'll give you an example for me, the one that I always point to in my life. I, I was always a fan but it never really dawned on me. I want to do this until they, I forgot what year it was, but it was a random raw. And I think it was one of the first times I ever really attended like a live event. And it was a raw and the rock opened the show and that pop from the rock. It just some, it did something to my body. And I was like, okay, I want to, I want to do this now. How do I go about doing this? Is there something that happened, something you experienced, something you saw when you finally decided for yourself, I, I need to pursue this. Um, There were a couple things, and it's funny that you mentioned Madison Square Garden, um, because now I'm starting to think maybe that place is just a little bit more magical than we we all, you know, really anticipated it was. Um, So I went to Royal Rumble 2000. Okay. And uh, the main main event, or, well, the the title match was Triple H versus Cactus Jack in the street fight. And, um, like, I, I can't even just... It wasn't the match. It was um, it was fully kicking out of the first pedigree. Nice. Um, and if you know anything about that match, he really wasn't supposed to do that because that's Hunter's finisher is protected. And um, Hunter was, you know, I know I'm calling him Hunter like I'm friends with him, but Triple H was, uh, you know, he was <laughs> Me and Paul skyrocketing. Paul, <laughs> oh, yeah, he was skyrocketing, skyrocketing at that point right. um, with, the, with his first title run, I think it was. And um, I'll never forget the sound 
of that of the garden when when Foley kicked out of that first pedigree, um, and to learn that the emotion that Triple H was showing after Foley kicked out of it was very real, was a yeah. very real anger, um, seriousness that um, he didn't go with the plan. But I mean. I'm sure he felt the eruption from that crowd um, when people thought for one more second that maybe, just maybe Foley is about to fucking win the title in Madison Square Garden. I know he had to have felt that to the depths of his soul, which meant that this that was the right thing to do. And as God is my witness, it, it was because then when he finally did get put down with the pedigree on the thumbtacks, you almost heard this kind of, exasperated like we were all and i'm sorry to say this but like we were all coming together um at the crescendo of like the climax of the matchup exactly exactly thank you for uh (laughs) keeping it pg um i'm getting a little into it but yeah that's what it will go down together i'm not gonna let you hang we'll go down together (laughs) but yeah 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 but but that's that's what it felt like all together um i'll never forget that reaction with the pedigree on the tax that, that yeah. ugh sound from the audience just are you serious yeah yeah and and you know what dead serious and i'll say that it was at that moment the whole train ride home um we got raised pizza the not the original not the original famous raise but the famous raise on sixth avenue and i guess 11th street the best one um that's gone now we got raised and i was just like it was like we were speechless um Nothing else on the card even mattered after that. They literally broke the ring with that performance. And that was kind of like when I was like, wow, wrestling is like church. Like, I'm, I was like, wrestling has the same kind of power coursing through it that a congregation has when they're praising the Lord. And um, that's kind of like when I said, you know what, tired of, you know, waking up early and going to Virgin Megastore to stand in line and be the first one in line to get tickets to the Royal Rumble to get, you know, we sat in section 96. So that was pretty sweet for me at the time to sit in section 96 in the garden. If any New Yorkers know that um, for Royal Rumble 2000, but after I was made to feel that way by, you know, flesh and blood, Foley and, and Triple H, they're not robots, you know, they're real men. Stephanie's out there again, talking about the, the category others that add to this. When I experienced that moment, I kind of said, you know what? I, I gotta, I gotta do this. I've got to do this. I've got to be a part of this kind of experience because there's nothing like it right now out there. And that's, and that's, that, that goes right back to what I said about how, you know, you have the Academy Awards and, you know, these great performances by Meryl Streep and Doubt and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Doubt and things like that. But uh, you know what? It's so funny. The only time that I can ever think of like being in the movie setting and hearing like the cheering like that is during horror movies um, where there's a baddie that, you know, has to be taken down at the end. And also um, there was a lot of cheering when I did go see episode three um, for those lightsaber duels and also in episode two when Yoda finally got to you know we finally got to see master yoda fight count dooku oh yes i remember i remember i remember that when i was in the theater people were like cheering and clapping and and like hollering um and (laughs) you know that's that's what i need 
I need that type of performance yeah. <laughs> um, to, to, to be 100% vested. And experiencing that, you know, again, like church-like experience at Madison Square Garden for World Rumble 2000, that was a very pivotal moment for me um, to get involved. Um, another time that I experienced something in the garden that was really kind of like, whoa, this is, and I, I actually don't know if this was after the Rumble or um or before, I mean, yeah, it had to have been after the Rumble because it, it involved Taz. Uh, there was a Raw in the summer, I remember it was, and Taz was just started by now. He was a full-on heel, and they were kicking off or, or giving it fuel, and Taz just started ripping into JR uh, oh, yeah. at the commentator's table. And again, here we go, going back, AJ, about category other. Like, yeah. this, is, this is the type of entertainment that makes me want to get involved. And I remember, like, we were watching, and, like, me and my friend, we were like, oh, my God, Taz is, like, like he's really shitting on JR right now. <laughs> and it, it, it built to that crescendo where Taz was, like, going, you want to hit me, don't you, old man? You want to hit me, don't you? Well, hit, hit me, hit me, come on, hit me. <laughs> and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, yeah. and no, I, I did not – I had no clue this was going to happen when I was watching it. I'm getting goosebumps Waller gets it. up, pushes JR out of the way, and hits Taz with all of the Memphis right hand that you could ever imagine the king could still pull out, and the place went fucking nuts. The place went nuts. I went nuts. There was like a huge scuffle where security was holding back Waller yeah. and holding back Taz. And I'll tell you, as as phony or as pre or whatever word you want to describe wrestling as, as as predetermined as it was i remember at that moment like coming together like was that supposed to happen like literally like my mouth was like it was like like why would like Lawler's not supposed to be wrestling i mean we knew he could wrestle but yeah. taz was just delivering that diatribe to jr that it just you know sounded so real and he was really letting the Brooklyn come out of him. And for the first time, I felt that was the first time that we kind of got to see ECW Taz, yeah, a little in bit, my yeah. opinion, you know, was when he started the, the thing to introduce Raven ultimately, and, and he started railing on, on Lawler. Um, but that was another moment in the garden I'll never forget, just kind of losing myself in the fact that everyone else around me was losing it. We were all, go we were all in a frenzy of watching men and women, you know, just people of flesh doing like great acts in front of us, doing great dramatic and, and, and uh, just moving acts in front of us. And of course all rooted in violence and, and, and things of that nature, which is another story altogether. But you know, that <laughs> yeah. was another moment where in the garden where I was like, Oh my God, I've got to, I got to get down there. I got to be in the mix of this. I can't just be up here screaming my lungs out. I should be, you know, using the gifts that God has given me, my voice, my um, charisma, you know, the positive attitude that I bring to everything that I do to be positively impacting this so that the next Larry out there can be like, oh, sh oh wow, there's, I can get up there? Like, I don't have to have muscles like Drew McIntyre and be a part of it? No, you don't. <laughs> there are all types of roles. Yeah. There are all types of ways to get involved. And it takes a village. It takes a village, yeah, and I just am so thankful that the people that were on TV to influence me to keep going were there, um, and I am hoping that as we kind of, 
you know, I dare say move away from TV being the end-all, be-all and get into a lot of streaming. Yeah. You know, there are people that can stream wrestling and see me as like one of those figures that's not a wrestler, but a personality that really makes this stuff like must-see. T- must I got to see it because you never know what will happen. Maybe Larry will get up and punch somebody. You know, it's like yes, exactly. that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's, what, that's what hooked me, and I want that to continue on to so wrestling never truly dies was there when you when you made that decision in your head it was like, i've got to be down there and you just said it that there are other roles uh that you can have to be a part of the show uh was being a wrestler ever considered okay now i'm not gonna lie i i mentioned two two pivotal moments that got me out of the crowd and into the into the ring um, as being times when I was an audience member, but uh, shortly after uh, WWF WrestleMania, um, was it WrestleMania 2000? Yeah, WrestleMania 2000 came out on the N64, um, and I've, I've mentioned this in other other interviews. Um, the Create a Wrestler big feature of that that game really kind of sh- like was a step by step breakdown of like how to do the move safely. Um, And to make a long story short, you know, I was around, I don't know, 16, 17 when that game came out, maybe 17, 18 when that game came out. Um, And my friends and I that were also around that age, 16, 17, we would create the wrestlers that weren't on the game. And, you know, we would essentially be watching each move each maneuver when creating a wrestler and i don't know how this sprung up but somehow or other like someone just gave someone a stunner maybe like at a at a slumber party and then like after the person gave got took the stunner they like picked them up and rock bottomed them on the bed and (laughs) one thing led to another and we were just having a fun-filled evening of doing like mock wrestling in the bedroom at a slumber party some very uh, looking back on it, homoerotic <laughs> teenage <laughs> angst. You know, like, you know, looking back on it, like, we started out all eating popcorn and drinking soda and playing the game, and now we're all, like, rolling yeah, around on the floor and on the, the kid's bed, and we just were having a great time. We've all been there. Yeah, you know, and um, <laughs> the guy who whose house we were at actually also went to Carver, went to George Washington Carver, the magnet high school that I went to, and he was a telemedia his his magnet was telemedia so that meant that he was pretty proficient with cameras and had several of them and somehow or other the camera had a tape in it and we just filmed ourselves acting silly and we then started like asking to hold the tape like so that we could watch it and um i i went back to nyu um for my undergrad year and as while i was back there all I was doing was talking about how, hey, when I come home for, you know, whatever break, we should do some more of that, like filming us messing around with the wrestling. Yeah. Um, and we did. And we did. And it grew extensively, thanks largely to then WWF No Mercy coming out, which had even a oh, larger yes, library of maneuvers to teach us. And we used to do our own backyard kind of wrestling yes, the, uh, the underground wrestling company. Federation. Under yeah, the Underground Wrestling Federation, the UWF, uh, was our our, yes. our thing. Yeah, I know. I, it's it's wild, isn't it? When you think about my entire life, my entire career life, my 
every little tick on the like t- timeline, my first like thing that I ever did was kind of a do-it-myself version of pro wrestling, and the company that we started, or what we called ourselves, was the Underground Wrestling Federation, the UWF. And, um, of course, when we first started, it was very rudimentary. It was very, like like I said, wrestling around on the bed. But as we started to get older, and then No Mercy came out, and then some of the guys who were doing it started getting into, like, Torimon and, you know, like, really deep into ECW, which was still kind of foreign to me in 99. They did, we did, it wasn't really on TN, TNN. Maybe TNN it was on next year, whatever. It wasn't as, as known to me, but they started getting into – technical aspects of it and then they started really kind of taking it seriously Uh-oh. and what started out as kind of like Tom Foolery you know started to develop into like oh we're doing a pay-per-view oh this is going to be like a you know like a version of Raw and the guys were practicing so um, eventually uh, I guess everyone grew up like everyone kind of started discovering girls more and like ah, yes. and then it was like you know <laughs> Rolling around in the backyard with you is all well and good. They were practicing different holds uh, with those people. What's that? They were practicing a whole new set of holds with those ladies. Yes, indeed. And um, it's funny because you kind (laughs) of, looking back on it, it's almost like you can tell when each one of these (laughs) prepubescent would slowly be written out of the show to the point that they were like, yeah, I don't got time for that. I'm going over her house, you know, like, and we're going to, you know, do whatever. And, you know, so we all, we all kind of grew out of it. But again, with me, I was still kind of um, just loving the, the, you know, the thing that it hooked me to the point that I was like, well, I can't do this in the backyard forever. And um, that leads right to another pivotal point. While I was doing the backyard wrestling with my friends, I remember one night I was watching Raw, and in the middle of Raw, um, an ad came on um, that I learned uh, later in life was voiced over by Axel Rotten, and it was like an ad for the Bone Breakers Pro Wrestling Training Academy. And um, I remember when I saw this ad during Raw, I was thinking to myself, how did these guys get a commercial for some other wrestling on while Raw is on? I was say, like, I was so perplexed that, um, a, 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 like, another type of wrestling, like, there were not WCW commercials on during Raw. Well, eventually there did start to be them. I did, re- I do remember WCW started doing like ad space they like for Bash at the Beach this Sunday, um, but it was it was it it wasn't typical, and this wasn't WCW. This was for. Bone Breakers Pro Wrestling Training Academy. And as I was looking at the ad for Bone Breakers Pro Wrestling Training Academy, they had like a, like, you know, video montage of like moves being done, like actual show footage. Mm -hmm. And I could see that the show footage was from something called MCW. Oh, yes. And um, around 99, I guess the internet was in its infancy, but, you know, that when I was coming up, we used to have these wrestling hotlines that we could call. And I found out that all those were were guys who would get Meltzer's, uh, you know, pro wrestling torch, um, and they were subscribers. So he would, you know, Meltzer used to, you know, tell you all the results and all that backstage stuff. And these guys would get the the observer or the torch, and they would read what Meltzer had written and kind of like give it to you as the gospel. 
Um, and I remember that sometimes the hotlines would kind of promote local local wrestling shows, like MEWF or MCW shows. There was two of them in the Maryland area, MCW and MEWF. And I put two and two together, and I was like, oh, that must be the school for that local company I'm always hearing about on the hotline, MCW. And um, I figured that if these people had enough resources to run an ad during Raw, they were pretty legit. So I called them, and I was like, yeah, I just want to get some information, like, not about necessarily being a wrestler, but, like, something else to kind of, like, help y'all run your business because if you have commercials on during Raw, you have a business, and I think you know what you're doing. Which was really, like, the nature of the conversation when I called. And the guy, and I learned, Carney, since this time, you know, you got to get him in front of you. Over the phone is one thing, but it's not until you get them in front of you that you get the deal done, their name on on the contract. Absolutely. So he was like, come on down to the school, give you a tour, you know, take you in the office, talk to you about things. And I'll never forget, I went with one of the other backyard wrestlers from the UWF just because I was like, I'm going to check this place out. Will you come with me? And they kind of gave me the rundown of it and, um, you know, told me that, they would, you know, if I stuck with it, what with, and we really hadn't even established what it was, but if I stuck yeah. with it, um, <laughs> I would make a lot of connections and I could potentially go very far. Mm. Um, so that wasn't going to be free. So they were like, what we're going to do is we're going to work on a deal with you, like, as if you were coming here to be a manager or a rep, which was a little bit lower tuition than if you were going there to be a wrestler. Okay. And they were like, and the expectation for you is you kind of like, just like you said over the phone, you're going to help us run this school. You know, we have a wrestling school. We got to accept tuition payments from everyone, including you. We have like a merchandise stand where the guys can buy hoodies and, you know, workout shorts and shit. (coughs) Excuse me, AJ. Um, And, you know, we sell Gatorade here. We need someone to always handle that cash. And, you know, we have an office. We need the voicemail cleared off every couple of days. We need the email checked. Like, kind of like, I guess, again, learning Carney was kind of like a gopher role. Like, you know, yeah. run, get Big Show from the airport. Um, run, go get Big Show marble lights from the store. Things like that. Like, oh, yeah. just be a good, be a good hand. Yeah. I got those. And um, and hey, and and, and while you're dreams. being a good hand, if you don't fuck up, we'll learn you. Yeah, is really kind of like what it was. And, and I guess looking back on it and and talking to you right now, AJ, the first lesson is nothing comes for free. Yeah, there you go. And um, I, I I really kind of was like, why would I pay these guys tuition to like to like do work like yeah. this is like weird. You're like them I know I get work. you know what I mean. What were you gonna say? I'm sorry. I'm saying you're paying them to do all the work for them. Right. And and, yeah. and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a dummy. Mm-hmm. Like, but these guys can really just essentially take my money and like not even fucking give a fuck about me. But yeah. I treated it very seriously. I treated everything that they gave me to do, whether it was ring crew or 
you know, hanging up the posters. We're talking the days of when posters used to be like stapled on the telephone poles uh-huh. on the like right before you got on the expressway. We're talking about these days. Um, <laughs> yeah. We we also used to do a set. We used to do when Raw would be in town or SmackDown would be in town. We'd wait till everyone went in, yep. and then we'd flyer the entire garage from top to bottom with our local show, like little eight by eleven piece of paper. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, I got all those some, too, man. Yeah, flyers up. I they used to send me over to the event to while they're waiting for the doors to open. You walk down the line, you hand out the cards. Yep, uh, all kinds of shit. Yeah, and and I'll tell you something. Um, Living in New York and going to the shows at the Garden kind of prepared me for what I was going to be doing when I got to MCW. Because I remember it, when you would go to Garden shows back in the day, house show, raw, whatever, you'd get a USA Pro fucking flyer. Right. You would get it. When you would be walking out, there would be like a team. Frank Goodman had his, his guys down there handing out flyers. Um, so, but but back to my my career path i i just excelled in everything and was very serious and you know handled all the calls that came into the office with a lot of like you know just i'm smart you know i'm not i'm not a dummy and um i i acted like even though the role wasn't created i essentially was an administrative assistant i was an administrative assistant on the days of shows i was behind the merch table helping to collect money and sell things and count money at the end. Like, so Boy, they call again, them they say, dues. what's that? call them paying dues. <laughs> Using their paying your dues, boy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, honestly, AJ, and I, yeah, that's what it was. And, and honestly, AJ, I got to let you know the same positivity that I've always bought to, you know, when we've been around each other, Yeah. all of that shit, the boards and the T-stands for a ring, like, as grueling as that was, you know, I even did all of that with a lot of, you know, like, let's get it done, guys. You know, like, let's get this done and get some fucking Wendy's, you know, like. He carried so himself with ca- moxie. Uh, you had some moxie. Huh? You carried yourself with some moxie. He was, he was, he was treating you like a real business. Exactly. And um, my first job in wrestling was, um, was I had to carry the envelope. I had to carry the envelopes of money around to like the talent that MCW would bring in. <clears throat> and um, in addition to bringing the envelopes around, I used to have to bring this waiver. There was a waiver that everyone that was part of MCW, they just signed it, you know, they signed it cause they get, they got it, you know, but I'm talking about like, you know, very early SATs, Talking 2001, 2002, SATs, Eddie Guerrero, Jerry Lawler, all of the fucking, you know, big talent that were getting the big envelopes. My first job was to bring them their envelope and also carry the waiver and ask them, after I'd given them their money, in a very respectful manner to please sign off saying that you will allow us to, like, use your likeness after this. Um, just give me one second, AJ, one second. No problem. Um, job, but I wasn't paid for it. I just had to do that. And I guess the promoters kind of figured, you know, Larry carries himself in a way that no one's really going to give him any shit if yeah, he goes up and asks them to, like, sign this. 
which they don't have to. And also, he's got their money. So that was my first job. And I started, I started getting paid uh, because one time when that was my job, there was a battle royal. Oh, shit. And the battle, the battle royal was filled with students. Oh. Now, if I was an idiot, <laughs> I, would have just, I would have just figured, since none of the students are getting paid, I don't need to get them to sign the waiver. Right. But I'm not stupid. <laughs> so every single student in the Battle Royal, along with all the, you know, the big talent, I got them all to sign off on the waiver. And one of the students got hurt really, really, really badly. Oh. And um, the, the promoters of MCW, after the whole thing got settled in court, um, they took me out to the Hard Rock Cafe. And they were like, Larry, you have no idea how you saved our ass by getting that kid to sign off on that waiver. And he was like, if, it was, if you didn't get him to sign that, uh, we probably would be going to jail. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. And they said, so we're going to start paying you from now on <laughs> at every show to you, do You are <laughs> to our new favorite person. You, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to start to pay you now um, because, you know, when you first came around, you were telling us you wanted to get involved, and we kind of had to like, we kind of had to like see if you were serious. And we figured, what better way to see if he's serious than to make him pay? Uh-huh. Um, and you paid, you know, you paid your tuition. I finished. Actually, they stopped. Uh, what they did was after I did the down payment, and I think I did two payments of like one hundred and twenty-five dollars. They were like, you know, don't worry about next month's payment. You know, we kind of like that. Okay. Um, and I stopped, I stopped paying shortly after joining, but they were like, you know, we, we, we should be giving you money, you know, because, um, <laughs> you, you, you really, you really fucking saved our ass. That's really the thing for They were like, you, we would not be doing any more shows. We probably would be, They'd be out of business. in jail. What's that? They'd be out of business. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So that was, um, that was my first job and, you know, to kind of, I know this has gone all over the place, but to talk about those pivotal no, moments no, no. where I was you're, like, I've got to, I've got to get out of the crowd. My backyard wrestling led me to MCW, and those moments in the garden um, were like, you know, just pivotal for me, you know, going forward. MCU would, I'm, well, you just talked about it there. MCU was such an important part of your beginnings. Um, I'm from New York. So I did not, my first taste of Larry Legend uh, was not MCW. My first taste of Larry Legend was CZW. I think a lot of the people that I, I've uh, hung out with or been a part of here and up here uh, would say the same. How did your relationship with CZW begin? Well, it's, it's very interesting that you, um, you, you bring that up. You, this is just going swimmingly, if I, if I might say so myself. But um, the reason that you're even calling me Larry Legend is because of CZW. Because you see, MCW, I was Larry Kennedy Phillips. Yes. My original ring announcing name in the game was Larry Kennedy Phillips. And when I first started, 
I actually didn't realize that there were other MCWs around. I didn't realize there was NYWC and there was ICW and there was EWA. I didn't realize. I knew about MEWF, but just call it my naivete. I never really, like, ventured out to, like, find out about other wrestling companies. And also, and I've learned this since, you know, learning the biz, I don't think that the MCW management really wanted me to know about other things yeah. because they were like, we've got a gold mine in him and we should keep him uh-huh. here as our announcer and, you know, agent almost kind of. Um, but, but I met Ruckus. I met Ruckus in 2005 okay. and I announced him at an MCW show and he approached me in the back and he's like, dude, you're awesome. And I'm like, thank you. And he's like, yeah. I'm going to need you to come to CZW with me. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what that is, but, you know, you're you're kind of giving me props here, and you just had a hell of a match out there, so you're, you're, you're obviously somebody, like, but I kind of played dumb, like, yeah, sure, I'll come, not even knowing what CZW was. Um, so we didn't exchange numbers that night, but I saw him at another show, and he was like, hey, man, remember, I want you to come to CZW with me to be, like, my personal announcer. And I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, I got a group. I have a group in CZW. I'm the world champion there, and I'm the tag team champion there. And he was like, and I think, like, you know, what I want you to come there for with me is to be my personal announcer of my group. So the first time he was just like, I need you to come to CZW with me, the second time he was like, he kind of broke it down. And that's when I um, first went to the 2300 Arena Viking Hall um, in South Philadelphia and, um, you know, debuted in CZW as the personal announcer, the personal ring announcer for Blackout, which was mm-hmm. uh, Ruckus's stable, Blackout, yes. the label, not the stable. And um, that was. most. That was it. What? That, that was my. That was it. That was my first exposure to you, when you came in, when Ruckus had brought you in. I had never uh, gotten a chance to see any of your work before that, and I remember my first impression when you first came through. I was, there was something about your voice, like the booming, just the way that the auditory, the way that you just did it. Like you said earlier about the other box. I'm kind of that person too, like the way that I view performances is a little different from other people. I think that's why people usually tend to bring me in and have conversations with me about their shows and stuff. I, I love looking at the extra. I love looking at the extra things that some people might not exactly be paying attention to. And I just remember before I even got a chance to see the work, just as soon as you spoke, and the way that the the fluidity in which it came out, just that natural just performer sound came out. I was like, God, because I've never heard that on an indie level. I've always heard the professionals, the, the, the big TV announcers. I've always I've been so familiar with their voices. You're, you were the first voice that I heard uh, on, a, on, a, on a smaller show. But I was like, fuck, why isn't he on the other? Why isn't he on my TV? <laughs> this guy is just an amazing talker. And then you would do all these different uh, uh, angles and shows. And I, I think the first time you rock bottom someone, I lost my fucking head. I was like, oh, my God. 
It's like, talk, talk to me about that because your interaction with the fans, let me tell you something, bro. They don't like you. They fucking love you, okay? Your fans love you. I don't know how many shows that I was the substitute for you for whatever reason, uh, family issue or whatever it may be. You just couldn't make a show. So I would be brought in and I would just have my ass roasted for several hours because I'm not fucking Larry Legend. Uh, talk to me about that relationship that you've been able to accumulate over all this time with your fans. Well, um, it comes from, I guess, what you saw from me the first time that you saw me, which was that, you know, presentation, um, you know, background, that theatrical background. Um one of the types of theater that I've always been in love with is Shakespeare. And um, in learning about Shakespeare over the years, I've also learned about how those performances used to take place historically. And one thing about Shakespeare performances is that you would have the elites that would sit up in the boxes above the, the stage to look down upon the actors and then you would have the groundlings, the people who really couldn't afford seats but still wanted to see the performance, and they would be on the ground right in front of the, the actors in front of the stage doing their performances. Well, I learned that some of the actors that were kind of like the most beloved were the actors that would interact with the groundlings mm. that wouldn't just play the lines to the queen and her guards up, up top, but that would also like look down at the groundlings and make eye contact with them and say their lines to them. The groundlings used to feel an emotional connection to actors because of how they would play to them. And from the time I first came to CZW, hell, from the time I came to MCW, I was always known for interacting with the fans, Yes, whether it be shouting something back, hugging one of the regulars that's there every time in the front row, doing a birthday shout out, um, being over by the, mingling with them during intermission. Um, sometimes I'll throw myself under the bus, smoking with them outside <laughs> of the place, you know, or, or in the patio of the, the uh -huh. Elks Lodge. Um, at the, I'll throw myself under the bus again at the bar at the Elks Lodge. I would always. <laughs> that's where I've gotten in trouble too, the bar at the Elks Lodge. Yeah, it's a legendary bar. Yeah. Um, but that's that's um that's that's something and I've said this many times before, the way that I can like have the ability to touch my fans and like get to know them, I feel like that when you get to that WWE level that becomes off limits. You kind of everybody becomes the same. Right. And that type of connection that I've had with a lot of people where they love me comes from a very real place and comes from a place of, you know, me being able to kind of talk to them, pose for pictures with them, sign things for them, hand them, you know, debris from a table that, you know, the Dudleys put LAX through at House of Glory, you know, like, yeah, that's really where that comes from. And I apologize to you, um, but you are not alone for a lot of the times announcers who have to fill in for me, they kind of hate it um, because if it's my crowd, 
the first thing that they're going to see to get them up on their feet is me walk on down to the ring. And when they see me walk on down to the ring, they know it's about to go down. There it is. And, um, <laughs> you know, if they don't see me, yes, they're like, wait a minute. I thought it was about to go down. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's the guy who is about to go down is not around. So, uh-huh. you know, so I apologize, but I'm not doing it intentionally. <laughs> to like keep my job or keep anybody no. else from no you know, doing that, that. It's just that no. while I'm there I'm having a good time with everyone and they feel it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know you you have uh you have your rapport, you have your thing that you do with your audience. I think as announcers we all kind of to a degree have that. But when you're trying to follow Larry Legend in the ring with your shit, and they're accustomed to Larry Legend shit. It's a long, yeah. it's a long night in the office. <laughs> I, I remember. I have. I, yeah, go ahead. I, I've heard that before, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you not not to toot my own horn. <laughs> I get a lot of I get a lot of receptions that are very warm. Uh, yes, but the receptions that I get that are the warmest are events where I've taken off a show. And they've had to maybe have a replacement for one show. And then when I come back at the next show and everyone sees me come, it's like they they flip out because they want they, they want me there. There's a <laughs> sense of relief. They're like, oh, thank God, this show's going to be good now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'll give, I'll give a specific example. So I, I, you, you used to do work a lot with um, – well, we both did to a degree. Uh, before they were GCW, before it was Game Changer, I think it was Jersey Championship Wrestling, I think it was, before it became yep, GCW. Very good, Jersey Championship Wrestling. Yes. That's how I got involved with them to begin with. Yes. So, yeah, and uh, our, our boy DeMonto was out there. So, so you, mm-hmm. you, you, were, you were their guy. And uh, I think you had, again, there was one of those situations, something just came up and you couldn't make a particular show out in Manville, New Jersey. And I know was, exactly where you're talking Yeah, about. it was a tournament, a tag tournament. And he was like, hey, bro, can you come out of here and do da-da-da-da-da? I was like, yeah, no problem. It's for you, yes. So I was like, I drove out there. I think it had like eight or nine scheduled matches. I mean, match one, I'm dying already. Match two, I'm dying out there. They're, they're giving me shit. And it got to a point during match three where Danny comes over to me. He goes, listen, fucker, you need to figure out right now (laughs) how to get these fuckers off of you so they can pay attention to the fucking show because they're so busy heckling you that I need them to focus on the fucking ring. So I was like, all right, well, what do you want me to do? He was like, if they come after you, go after these motherfuckers, please. I was like, all right. And I went out there. I forgot what it was specific that I said, but I said enough for them to get off of me. And and they started enjoying the show more. But, of course, at the end of the show, everybody was like, hey, are you coming back? I'm like, oh, I don't think so. I mean, this is still Larry's gig. He just couldn't come here tonight. And they were like, oh, thank God. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, oh all right. <laughs> oh, that's, I think by the end really... of it, people were happy with my work, but I'm no Larry Legend. And they were like, no, I mean, you're not terrible at what you do. You sound great, but I need me some Larry. Like, these people need Larry Legend in their life, man. And I'm like, I, I get it. I get it. And, you know, for some people, you know, when they get that kind of response, when they have that kind of rapport with an audience, like you just explained, and it's well-deserved, you just... You know, you just gave a few instances on how you built that rapport, but those few instances take course over a long period of time. 
You're talking about years of dealing with the, the same fans you mentioned earlier, the regulars. People are used to seeing you on certain shows. You're an institution for the most part for a lot of these yeah. companies. Wrestlers come and go, but they, they when they see Larry come out the curtain first, they know that they spent their money on the right event. And uh, for a lot of people, when they get into that position, because it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of time, a lot of dedication to get to that position, it, especially when it comes to a position like ring announcing where there aren't many good ones, there aren't many people out there that are really like dedicated the way that you are, the way that even I am to a degree. And when they get to that spot, it's really difficult to find a guy who is going to, okay, I'm here, let me put my hand down and and bring you up. There's very few people, if I can be honest about it, who do that. You are the complete opposite. There have been a lot of guys, Not even I'm not even tooting my own horn, but there's been a few guys that I know that I've seen who have tried to uh, get some of that knowledge from that tree, and you're more than willing to give it up. And I've seen, I'll give a story. I don't even know if you remember this. You remember uh, Six Flags? Oh, yeah. Six Flags. Okay, so they bring me in. I'm I'm not the regular guy. Again, I'm not the regular guy. But they're like, hey, we need a ring announcer. It's Six Flags, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, fuck yeah, Six Flags. Let's do it. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm in. So I get all the way down there. I'm all gussied up, dressed to the nines. You know, I got my Sunday best on. And I'm ready to perform. And I, and I get to the building, and everyone's walking around, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, so Larry's going to do the ring announcing, and we're going to throw you as a third man on commentary. And I'm not angry, but I was hurt, because I was like, oh, fuck, I really wanted to do, like, of all the shows to commentate, I wanted to do the ring announcing, that would have been dope. Uh, but it's you. So I was like, nah, it's Larry, so I'm not going to be upset about it. Even, I think I was commentating with Brandon and Matt, and they were like, Are you sure? I'm literally fine. But then I brought it to your attention. And I was like, yeah, they called me here to ring announce, but I guess you're doing it and I'm going to be doing commentary. Your first reaction was, bro, fuck that. You want to split it? <laughs> I was like, no. And I would have never have done that because that would have put, would have honestly put us both in a predicament. But the fact that your first reaction, I mean, I think. That. But I just love the fact that you, you were always what was good for business. You, you didn't hold anybody behind you. You could, even with people you just met. You know, you're just an overall cool dude. And I, I really want people to understand that about you, not just as the performer. I know they see a talented performer, but I think what makes them. Immense respect for you for the way that you've done that. And that leads me to another high honor that you have received. Because you, even when you tell these stories, you speak so highly. You're glowing when you tell these stories. You're, these are really good memories of you or of your career. 2018 marked a very important year for you as well. You were inducted into the CZW Hall of Fame in 2018. You went in. Uh, I believe it was Toby Klein and Nick Hatred you went in with. Talk to me about that experience. Did they hit you up for that? Did they tell you, hey, brother, we're trying to do something with the Hall of Fame? Are you interested? How'd that come about? Wow. Well, uh, to be quite honest with you, um, Nate and Toby were added to the Hall of Fame class that year. Nate, because he, he passed away, 
um, and was a posthumous induction. And Toby, because he retired at that year's uh, tournament, tournament of death. But at the time of the actual ceremony, I was the sole inductee. Yeah. And um, I was the sole inductee because CZW is a company uh, that embraces diversity. CZW is one of the only companies that you can you can name multiple African American world champions. And in addition to that, CZW, although MCW is where I got my start from, again, you know Larry Legend, the iteration of me that is, you know, now, you know, doing this interview because of CZW. And a lot yeah. of that involved CZW's, um, you know, embracing diversity. So a month before the Hall of Fame, uh, DJ Hyde, the owner of CZW, did a no-ring death match in a bar in Brooklyn and he used a very offensive terminology mm. trying to get some heel heat. And it is a terminology that I won't repeat right now. Mm-hmm. And DJ went on record um, you know, apology, apologizing about it. And um, he actually called me uh, really to let me know flat out that that's not him he doesn't like that word he it was a dumb move to use it and um you know just kind of square things away with me knowing who i was and you know knowing my lifestyle choices and you know not to get into it too much but just he just wanted to square things away with me so that if i heard anything you know that um I wouldn't, you know, be like, oh, I can't believe, you know, this. And however, it got hyped up. <clears throat> and it was in that conversation that I was kind of allaying his concerns and being like, DJ, I know um, that you, you know, don't feel that way. Or you don't, I, don't e- I don't even need this explanation. I know that you've always been about diversity. I was your ring announcer for many years. At this point in 2018, I had just been released or I had been not given any more flight information from Ring of Honor uh, to continue on with them. I think the last thing that I did with them was in October of 2017. So this conversation between me and DJ and I had to have been happening in January of 2018. Hmm. And, um, you know, we just got to talking and we started talking about a path for me back to CZW at this point. And the path back had to come with the assurance that, I wasn't going to like come and then go do Madison Square Garden or come and then Ring of Honor was going to all of a sudden be like, hey, we want you back. And um, we just discussed a lot of things. And I mentioned to him, I said, you know, DJ, Black History Month is coming up next month. And wouldn't it be a great gesture from CZW to show how you embrace diversity if you did something with, you know, an African-American, you know, in the, in the lineage of CZW. And um, I'll tell you this much, 
he wanted to induct John Moxley into that year's Hall of Fame. And he was working towards doing that. And after we talked and kind of started talking about a path for me back to CZW, he wanted to um, induct Mox as the sole inductee and then have Mox bring me out. Uh, Kind of as like, I guess, an olive branch to the LGBT community, really, a Mm -hmm. large part of which watches CZW. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that there was a little bit of politics involved in my induction into the Hall of Fame. Um, It sprung from DJ making a really big mistake and really wanting to do damage control with his company and the heat that it was undergoing. And I just happened to be the right guy who more or less was out of a job now, um, a a, a straight nine-to-five job, and, you know, shows. Although I wasn't extensively the ring announcer for Ring of Honor, they kept me busy. So I had some free time. So it, it happened kind of on accident. Um, you know, but I guess it came from a very genuine place because, um, DJ was really not in a good, he was not in the, he's not in a good place at that point. He was just wanted to, I think, sell the company because of just all the bonehead Hmm. things that (laughs) I don't want to say bonehead decisions he had made, but just kind of the heat. And, um, this was just another thing that he had done on accident that was getting him a lot of negative attention. So in just his reaching out to me to apologize about it, that spun into me um, talking about a path back into the combat zone. But black history month is kind of like, Hey, I started out with blackout. You know, that might be the time to strike um, and be like, Larry's back everyone. And it turned into, we're going to induct you into the hall of fame because, um, Mox could not <laughs> make the date, uh, although that was what they wanted to do. He could not commit to that. So then that was left with, well, who are we going to put in? And let's just put Larry in by himself. Well, I hope you don't think that these circumstances diminishes the accomplishment of itself. I mean, you are a CTW Hall of Famer, legit, like people consider you that. It wasn't like, hey, let's use this guy as a scapegoat. You've got the credentials to be one. I do, but you see, I want to. I want to go into this a little bit further, and this is actually something that I've never, I've never addressed. Um, but it turns out uh, that because Mox could not be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and the original idea was for he and I to both go into the Hall of Fame, you know, me after some time with Ring of Honor and a path, you know, back to CZW. There were some folks, and I don't know who these people were, uh, that kind of had some exceptions to the fact that I was the sole inductee um, into the Hall of Fame. And I don't know if that's because of the circumstances where it was like felt like, oh, well, we're, we're just doing this to, like, save face. Um, and it kind of, you know, I don't know what the... I don't know what the the, pro, the vetting process is for Hall of Fame, yeah, you know, credentials. Exactly. I don't know who sits at the table and decides things like that. But I learned about a year later that um, 
one of the reasons that Toby got inducted was not just because he was retiring, but also because they felt that that was almost too much of an honor uh, to be bestowed to be bestowed on me to be the sole inductee of the 2018, you know, Hall of Fame. Of course, the year before me, Drake went in by himself. And depending on the years, you know, sometimes it's one person, sometimes it's multiple people. It'll be groups. Um, but yeah, I found out that there was um, there was even more politics surrounding my induction into the Hall of Fame because and even you were aware they, of yeah that I yeah I wasn't even aware of this but I guess in a lot of ways that kind of shows the entertainment factor of the Hall of Fame in itself mm-hmm. you know it's not just a boring old thing it's something that's got some pizzazz you know little bit of controversy maybe you know yeah. all those types of things everyone's got a hand people. right yeah so i did my i did my duty um but i actually wasn't invited back to resume being czw announcer until october of uh 20 2018 like now that i think about it a year after i had done my last uh, roh show I came back as full-time CZW announcer, but yeah, it was um, it was really really special um, to be recognized um, after you know winning the Price is Right. The whole that whole Price is Right um, deal was while I was with CZW, while I was proudly with CZW. Mm. Um, so it felt it felt like um, a homecoming for me. And it felt right, and um, I was—I've never been moved by anything more in my career. And um, if you remember, all I—all I wanted, or this is what I told DJ when he finally said we're going to put you in. I said, "Well, I want um, Ruckus and Robbie Marino and Chrissy and G. I didn't say Eddie or Joker because they kind of were doing their own thing." Joker wasn't really around, and Eddie, I think, was in ROH or something. So I knew it was a long shot that we were going to get him. But I said the only way I'll go in is if I get all of them to come out with me. Just like when I first came to CZW, you know, all of them were there with me. Yeah. And, um, you know, the speech that I made was just about how scary, how scary CZW was. <laughs> when I first came around, yeah. um, it was a different CZW in 2005 than it was in 2008 when I became the ring announcer. I became the ring announcer in 2008. But when I first came around, it's just like the personal ring announcer of Blackout. It was like nothing I'd never seen. Yeah. Um, and the nature of my speech was like the people that are in the ring with me right now are the ones who made it not scary for me. Um with CZW being the first company I'd ever done other than MCW, I was just thankful to have so many supportive people around me in the back that gave me the confidence to go out there and um, do what I do. So it was, um, it was, it was, it's like I said, it's the most moving moment in my career. And um, I definitely feel like, you know, kind of like when you're a wrestler, you always imagine you get to hold that belt up over your head 
you know, I'm the champion and I'm not a wrestler, but it felt so good to take that plaque, that CZW plaque that said CZW Hall of Fame Larry Legend and, and hold it above my head in the middle of the ring to show everyone to take photographs. In my wildest dreams, I never thought when I, you know, went to MCW to try to help out in 2001 that, you know, all those years later, I would be the featured part of a, a show. So you one been... of the greatest, greatest moments. There you go. And you're well-deserved. You you mentioned something earlier. I, I had this question written down. I wasn't sure if I should ask it, but you heard, you mentioned something a second ago that it was a bullet. It hit me, and I was like, okay, this is it, because you mentioned something about diversity earlier, about how CCW mm-hmm. has embraced diversity. Uh, right now, on the big stage, uh, Big E just won the Intercontinental Championship. Street Profits, I mean, you go down the line, uh, Hurt Business just won the tag titles. Right now, uh, predominant champions in the WWE are of African-American descent. You've been in the game 18 years. How has the business acclimated itself to diversity over the years? Where do you think we stand right now? Are we in a good place? Is there still room for improvement? What are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, I think um, um, there's an old thing, like, don't believe the hype. Okay. So, like, um, I remember, I'm going to take it out of the realm of African-Americans. And they're put into um, gender. I remember um, there was a huge um, hullabaloo about Renee Young being invited to do commentary on Raw. Mm -hmm. And part of the hullabaloo was that this is the first time in the history of wrestling that a woman was invited to do the commentary with what predominantly had been an all-male-dominated position. Yeah, and that shit just happened, like, last year or something, like two years ago. Exactly. <laughs> so, it looks really good right now on the surface. Right. But Kofi still lost about, like, 13 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know? And, <laughs> you know, our truth is very funny. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's almost mm-hmm. like, um, you remember J.J. Evans from um, Good Times? Yes, absolutely. And it's almost like, okay, it's entertainment. We get that that's an entertaining part of what this man has to offer. But that's not all he has to offer. And there can be a little bit of room for growth or seriousness. I mean, Kate Quick was pretty serious. About yes, going for the European title and other stuff killing, like that. Uh, Ron the truth and, Ron, and Ron the Truth Killings was really serious over in Impact Wrestling. So, you know, we've come a long way. And on the surface, it looks really good. But again, like I said, you really, I'm not, don't believe the hype. Right. Because now it's like that we can say things like, wow, they never had a woman up there for that long? Like, yeah. We, we all were like, wow, they never had an all-black champion for, like, 50 years? Yeah, until, like, and the other day. So, again, it's kind of funny that you mentioned, like, the politics 
that goes into a lot of the things. Yeah. Even me going into the Hall of Fame. And I, again, I'm with you. I'm not diminishing that accolade in my career, but there's a lot of politics in wrestling. Absolutely. And um, in particular, the white supremacy that kind of exists in this country, I feel in a lot of ways for a lot of years has been promoted a lot by pro wrestling um, through drama, through heightened uh, stage combat. Yes. And the message for years has been that blacks just aren't good enough. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see where everything goes in the future. But you can't just turn on a light switch and be like, oh, look, we're, we're, we're equal too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. same executives and people that were controlling things back then so mm -hmm. diverse they're not gone they just have kind of gotten with the program you to know a degree. um so i love what i see i love that my godson and his brother they can see someone like shelton benjamin and cedric alexander and you know um mvp but still those guys even that those guys are like really role models they're kind of like i don't know almost like thugs in suits i thought they so, had an opportunity when they had the retribution deal and the hurt business was almost like the defenders of wwe for like a few weeks and they were taking well, on that protector role i was like that i was like oh addition to a face thing and then it just stayed in the status quo after i was like oh damn i thought that was probably were just testing the waters out with that. They probably were just testing to see like, cause I feel like that, that kind of happened with the new day, before, not that exact circumstance, but something where the new day kind of started to turn right. um, when they were written as heels and the people were like, no, 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 we like these guys. Uh, I don't know if it was Budio's. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> something. So I don't know. I don't really watch. So right. I don't really watch anything. Cause I do, so much that you kind of need to get your eyes off of it for a little bit yes, sometimes. Absolutely. And that's very rarely that my eyes are even off of it. Even when I'm not watching the stuff that's current, I'm watching old stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I love, I love what I'm seeing. I love what I'm seeing. Um, and I hope that it continues. And I hope that I can continue to be at the forefront of the embracing of diversity for changing the status quo and the norms that pro wrestling is kind of set. In its in, in its um in its entire existence, because um, those just aren't entirely true at all, and um, they per they help perpetuate um, a kind of inferiority complex in some, and a superiority complex in others through the way that the drama plays out. So I'm glad that Jonathan Gresham is doing great things, lethal. All of the blacks, uh, Rich Swan from Baltimore, stand up for Be More. Um, but, you know, I just learned an interesting fact. Um, recently, someone, I think it was Darius Lockhart, tweeted out that when Chris Bay and uh, Swan fought, fought for the Impact Championship, 
it was like the first time in 50 years or something. Like yeah. it was some large amount of time mm -hmm. that a major company had two African-Americans like fighting for the title. Yep. So that's a problem. That's a first and it's 2020. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's, so that's, I just kind of don't believe the hype. I see it, but I, I, I feel like that this is not happening organically that it's happening because, you, you know, now due to social media and how quickly we can get the information out, it's like it's harder to kind of mask it. And now you have all these other people that feel empowered by their voice that can call them out, and yeah. they don't want that. No, so, they, don't, they don't want that. And, and a lot of these situations are held under the guise of, well, this is just the way that it's always been, right? It's just like, you know, well, yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's a few African-Americans along the way that might have, kind of, should have, but, they didn't, you know, this is more familiar. This is the way that we've been doing business. This is that. I was there for WrestleMania 35. I was in the building for that one when Kofi won the championship. And to tell you that I saw more, I saw excited kids, but I saw grown folk crying. I saw legitimate tears in the eyes of adults who have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And here it was. And not for nothing, it wasn't that bad of a match either. Still one of my favorite WWE Championship matches out of WrestleMania. That was a fantastic match. It was even really, really good live. Uh, but since we're on the topic, and I know that we just kind of went a different direction with it, you have been in the business for 18 years, and it sounds like you're still enjoying what you do. You enjoy the freedom that you have with your career, uh, and that's all well-deserved. But in spite of everything that we have said, I, I have to ask the question, is, is the WWE on your list of things I need to accomplish? Is that a place that you still feel... If I have an opportunity, sure, why not? But it's not something you're going after. What What is your goal as far as where does WWE, I should say, fall within your goals uh, for your career? Um, my feelings on WWE are been there, done that, got the T-shirt, threw it away. Okay. <laughs> so let me let me let me let me get into a little detail about that. Okay. Um. So I have a lot of colleagues now that have gone on to WWE. I have a lot of, I have a lot of colleagues, some of which I consider some of my best friends. And um, through them and through, I would say, five, maybe five experiences that I personally have had with um, being in, in that environment, it's, um, it's not it's the type of stress that would um, kill me and I don't want to die. <laughs> I have done extra work for them four times. I um, came out at the end of the conga line in Nassau back, I think in May of 2018. Um, I did a, an ad for Royal Rumble tickets being on sale for Fandango. I don't know, for some service. Where you can get Royal Rumble tickets. I've done a few things for them, a few a few paying gigs for WWE, and um, I have to tell you that it just there is no fun. 
when you're working there. You know, there's no fun. There's no one, like, having fun. Everyone is everyone is doing their job and trying not to get dismissed. Um, so it's, like, it's really stressful. Hmm. Um, and it's exhilarating. As exhilarating as it was to do the things that I got to do with them, I also knew me. I know me, and I know the way that I like to relieve, relieve stress, and... I don't think that um, I don't think that they would be for my kind of vibe. Um, I have a very Matt Riddle, ruckus, RVD vibe, and with those guys, they're wrestlers, um, so they can kind of vibe whatever they want and get away with it. I don't think that an announcer. That looks like me, yeah. Kind of, you know, that that looks like me could kind of get away with, you know, what I my lifestyle choices, and that's okay. I'm not as conservative in a lot of the ways that I live my life, and I don't want to be working somewhere where I used to have a lot of fun doing what I did, to then kind of like not be having any fun doing it. So. Mm. I'll never, I'll never pursue it ever again in my life. Mm-hmm. And now, now that there's not even a crowd, yeah. now that they're like just screens, <laughs> yep. I really am enjoying doing ICW No Holds Barred, whether it be in the parking lot of an Atlantic City casino <laughs> or the, the barn of a fucking you know, vineyard in Millville, New Jersey. I, am <laughs> I used so... to live in Millville. I was so shocked you guys were down there. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, right right outside of Vineland. Yeah. I, I'm so blessed to still have crowds. They may not be big crowds, but they're right. still living, breathing people yes. that want to experience all of that stuff that we talked about at the beginning of this, this chat. You know, yes. so... <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> I wouldn't pass up the opportunity to try something new, but if that ship has sailed out of my life after my four or five times doing stuff with them, I am fine with that. Well, that I like Mike Rome. I like Vic Joseph. I never met Greg Hamilton, um, and those are those are like their type. Yeah. Larry Legend alone kind of stands out from, you know those other names like it's all it's like i guess what i'm trying to say is too much sauce a little a little too much sauce <laughs> on larry legend to like really fall in line and right. i think i really learned that when i was with ring of honor is that when you get to like the bigs tv you kind of have to like do it one way there's no room to kind of like play and be cute because when you do that it's like well why is he not doing it the way that we told him to? Hmm. And that can be very stressful, and I don't want that. So, I can yeah, I don't, I don't see myself there. MLW, um, Court, get at me. Um, Impact, I don't know, whoever, you know, Scott Demore, get at me. You know, <laughs> I'd love to do stuff there. But even with both of them, I just, I know TV now, and TV is just, really it's really really hard it's really hard and it's really stressful it's not 
So I had a lot of fun, and I I used I like having fun. That's what has kept me going is the fun factor. Once it stops becoming fun, then I don't even know why I'm really doing it. How has the pandemic changed uh, what you've been doing? You mentioned a second ago you were doing ICW, the Pit Fighter. You're saying that there are people there. Is the vibe st- is it different, or are they still giving you the same rush that you would get? before the pandemic happened? Well, I think in a lot of ways, it's a little, it's an even more of a rush because now the wrestling community is thirsty. Oh yeah. You know, we have a lot, we have a lot of, we have a lot of streaming services. We have a lot of things you can watch from the comfort of your home, but especially the fans that save their money to go out, they're thirsty now because they can't go to a quarter of the shows that they were, they were normally going to. So it's funny it's funny with the ICW pit fighter and um, no holds barred brand. A lot of the times the conditions are not ideal for having a good time. We've done shows outdoors where it's been like terrible rain and we had to run into the barn. That's how we actually put the pit fighter branch of ICW together was by necessity. Um, you know, with pit fighter, or whatever number it was, or NHB four got rained on, so we had to we had to give them something that first night. So we all went into that horse barn and just did a no ring match. <laughs> um, and and that's that kind of like all hands on deck. Let's put it all together and make a show. Like the fans just appreciate that even more. And then when it was the normal drive, you know, the normalcy. So we're, yeah. we're, um, it's, it's more, I feel like that it's even, it's even more. And, um, I don't do as many. I really haven't done any MMA or kickboxing shows. I've been doing some BJJ grappling only tournaments. I, I was fortunate enough to do a few of those in 2020, one in Charlotte, one in Connecticut, um, and then one in Philly. Um, and I'm so grateful that I was able to, you know, jump on board with that group to do, you know, a couple, couple BJJ, you know, keeping my foot in both wrestling and combat sports. Um, but you know, no CZW since what I get February and March of CZW and then they eventually gracefully bowed out of the running and, um, I would do NYWC. I'd make an appearance at NYWC for the psycho circus at least. Um, yes, another place I replaced you at that I got destroyed at. Yes, NYWC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, NYWC is a funny one because they kind of snuck up on me. I hadn't even realized I'd been there for about 10 years. I'd been associated with NYWC. NYWC is actually my first New York-based company. Um, I didn't start with ICW in Queens. I started with NYWC out in Deer Park, Long Island. That was my first. That's how I met Jack. That's how Jack um, oh. ICW ever first saw me, he did one of his, you know, vendor booths um, at the Sportatorium and was like, who's this announcer? Where'd you guys get him? <laughs> you know, and eventually I was able to um, do some things with ICW uh, and to this day with them. Um, but yeah, NYWC, I didn't, I, you know, it's been a year of no NYWC. Um, I, 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 I will say I'm so grateful I've been able to do these kind of like closed, closed door Close set events. Um, I'm not not a matter of pride. I'm so sorry. Sorry, Billy. Um, 
Paris's bumping, an LGBTQ event that was streamed on IWTV and was done in a bar close to fans. And um, the masked wrestler, um, the IWTV original, the masked wrestler, another close set um, event that was streamed only, which um, I guess since nothing's going on, things like that have a wider audience than if they just were kind of placed out there for people to view with things going on. You know, their competition is still fierce, but now it's like you can't really move. You need something to binge. So, yeah. you know, you got Paris is bumping, the masked wrestler. So I um, I feel like that despite the pandemic, I'm right where I need to be to continue thriving. Um, thanks to my experience yeah. and knowing the right people and being the positive person that I am. Um, so it, it has affected me. I'm very depressed. We all are very depressed, but it almost makes the, the sweeter times um, even all that more sweet. Um, I mean, I'm talking about when we do get to get together for a live event and the fans reflect that they're just, there's, there's a small amount of them, but you would think that the place was filled again. There you go. The enthusiasm is still there. I can't wait. <laughs> I need to get the fuck out of my house and hear that again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I'm getting back on the road in 2021. I already got some things lined up. I'm hoping to cross paths with you at some point so we can get the, chatting again backstage um, oh, i'm sure we will i'm sure that we will i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna end this with uh, a question that i wish um i wish i had asked when i first either met you or or any of the guys that i've had the privilege of meeting throughout the course of my career there ain't no ring announcing school or ring announcing classes for wrestling you know, a lot of us, like, you had a natural gift for it. You're, you had a background for it. But it was something that kind of happened. It's the same thing for me. I, I originally trained to be an in-ring performer. And after I broke everything, finally someone looked at me and said, you know, you can talk. You don't have to keep doing yeah. this. You know, you can still contribute. Put a suit on and, and get in there and, and start talking, and you'll be all right. And that's how it kind of happened for me. For, for those, because I've had a few people, well, how do, how do I start? How do I get into this? I, I want to be a ring announcer. I want to be a good ring announcer. Where would I go? Who do I talk to? Is there any advice that you can give to someone who wants to, who sees your example? And goes, I, I want to do that. Just like when you were the fan and you said, oh, I want to do that. How, where would you lead them? How would you advise these people go about that? Um, so, I mean, I guess my training for being a ring announcer started when I was about nine years old. And my grandmother would let me stay up and watch the Arsenio Hall show. And I guess even before that, it kind of really started, even though I wasn't really kind of of the age to be able to watch Johnny Carson. Um, you know, we all remember Ed McMahon's, here's Johnny. Yes. Um, and of course, with Arsenio Hall, it was that one, you know, legendary announcer that would just go, it's Arsenio <laughs> and you'd see his silhouette back there kind of waiting Hell for yeah. that announcer to stop holding that first part of his his vo uh his name holding that note and then the the curtain would rise in he'd let the hall go so my first training as an announcer really started just by listening to the people that were already doing it um I, I, another example um we we all can kind of say that the greatest announcer 
I think, honestly, the greatest announcer alive today is Michael Buffer. Um, I think that um, Howard Finkel is, is, you know, one of the greatest, but I don't think that I've ever heard anyone do it as effortlessly um, and as clearly and as powerfully as Michael Buffer. And I actually was privileged to do a show with him. Um, gosh, I don't even know where I was going with that. I'm sorry, I got no, distracted. No, it's fine. No, I, I'm not going to disagree with you on the Michael Buffer end, definitely. Uh, I was just, as you were saying it, I was like, well, on the wrestling end, I'll give it to Finkel, even though Buffer even did wrestling. Like, whenever I hear Michael Buffer do the Let's Get Ready to Rumble, I just assume the NWO theme is going to play right after he's done speaking. That's usually what happens when he hits that rumble. That's usually what's followed. I I guess, yeah. I I guess, yeah, but see, there in itself, he was able to kind of, like, cross over into both of them and be known far and wide as as an announcer. Um, But, um... Michael Buffer, I, I will never forget the first time that I heard him announce The Undertaker's name. It was at a Royal Rumble. I forget which Rumble it was. Oh, eight. But it, was in, it was in Madison Square yes, Garden. 2008. And the first, there, okay, you got it. Yeah, I was there, yeah. <laughs> the first two out were Sean and, and, and The Undertaker. Yep. And I remember, I remember um, for the first time ever in my life, I heard an announcer announced the undertaker but not the way that the fink who was the only announcer that i really had heard him announce you know his name and what michael buffer was able to teach me just by watching him and listening was that number one you can kind of put your own stylings onto things to make them your own and you can also do that to kind of respect the other announcer and sometimes when you put your own stylings on things they come out sounding a little not familiar to the audience so if i can just do a brief impression howard finkel would announce him as the undertaker is kind of a howard finkel introduction and that is what we all had come to know and love right well, Michael Buffer at the Garden, and I'll never forget this because it's the first and only time I've ever heard The Undertaker announce like this. When he said it, he said, The Undertaker! <laughs> and everything was, everything was like a rocket ship taking off. It wasn't like a roller coaster like The Undertaker, which is the thing style. Right. Like, like Buffer took that and said, the Undertaker! <laughs> and I remember when he said it that way, the crowd uh, erupted as they normally do for the Undertaker, Undertaker coming out. But his styling of saying it, the crowd erupting and the music playing made it like a totally different experience than I had ever heard before or that I'd ever seen the, the Undertaker bought out like. And and that, again, from Arsenio Hall to Here's Johnny to Michael Buffer, I'm not saying bite off of these people, like steal their style, yeah. but just listen, listen, listen to the ones who are up there 
doing it now. I listen to Justin Roberts. I listen to Bobby Cruz. I listen yeah. to Mike Rome and, and JoJo and Dasha Fuentes and everybody up there who's doing it because they may have a styling or something that I had never added to my, you know, my presentation of it that, that works. Right. Um, and even in, you know this because you just, thank you, ordered one of my T-shirts, even with Michael Buffer having kind of paved the way for a saying, a catchphrase before you get to the, the main event. His brother, Bruce Buffer, goes, it's time! And he goes, let's get ready to rumble! And I go, it's about to go down! Like, even that, <laughs> yes. like, I, like, that is just me listening to other announcers that are doing it, doing it well, and also listen to the announcers who do it and don't do it well. Because there are some that get up there and that get further along than you are, that you're like, oh my God, this guy needs to sit down or take some lessons because, you know, he's not doing it with the energy or the clarity or whatever. So, you know, my best advice is, is like, just like how I did when I was little with Arsenio Hall and Ed McMahon on Johnny Carson and Michael Buffer at Royal Rumble 2008, listen to your peers. Don't be afraid to listen and learn yeah. and, and, and incorporate different stylings into what you do. Yeah, when I prime first example, started, Before, before uh, we finish, prime example, uh, MLJ, and I think he got this from Bruce, yes. Bruce Buffer. MLJ always says, fighting out of whatever corner. I usually always say hailing from, because yes. I like saying hailing, like hailing from Jacksonville, Florida. And Emil always says fighting out of, like, Bell yes. Fountain, Ohio. Well, I've kind of borrowed that from Emil because, like, what is, does anyone know what hailing means anymore? Yeah. Like, I, I was, I was you, using. I he, know you do. Yeah, I, I, mean, uh, <laughs> I was, I was using. He hails. Uh, I remember that was a buffer thing. He hails from the city right. of Orlando, Florida. Like, I, that's where I got that from, right? So, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, I, I think that, um, you know, Emil kind of struck gold with saying that fighting out of, yes. you know, because that's that's what they're doing. You were coming to see the fight. Yes. So hammer it forth, um, you know, hammer it forth, that that's what you're seeing. And I, I tip my hat to MLJ for incorporating that into his styling, and I think that he may have, may have probably been influenced by Bruce Buffer and the UFC style of MMA and, and Bellator, where the guys are fighting out of the blue corner, or, you know, wherever, so... Yeah, just listen. Just keep your ears open and your mouth shut. <laughs> when I first started ringing, like the first time it was ever brought to me, he's like, hey, would you mind ring announcing? And I was like, well, I've never done it. And they're like, well, I mean, you talk really good in front of the camera. I don't really see uh, how you can't just, you know, like you just said, take a look at a few guys, check the cadence, see how they formulate things, see how they do it. So you could use it as a starting formula, and then along the way you'll figure it out. And I was so nervous. I remember I went home and started practicing with the names that I know I was going to use at the show. Not like because people practice like with WWE superstars. I I practiced with the people I was going to do it for, just so I could have it in my head. And every time I would do it, my wife would just look up and she goes, "You're doing Finkel again." I'm like, "Fuck, okay, let me stop." So like I would try to do different things, and I eventually played with it enough where I kind of felt like I had my own voice for a second. So I said, okay, I'm going to use this, right? I'm going to use this. This is how I'm going to talk. This is how I'm going to do it. And I did a whole show 
with this voice that I had created, right? It's not even the way I fucking talk. I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I was new. I was like, whatever, right? And about halfway through, one of the fans were like, you sound like somebody I know. And I'm like, oh, I'm probably coming off Finkelish a little bit. Like, no, 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 it's something else. I don't know. It just stuck with me this person said that. So I did the whole show. When the show was over and everyone's outside, he makes a beeline for me. He goes, I, I was just YouTubing stuff, and I found it. You were doing fucking Penzer, David Penzer. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. And he, and he went, yeah. look, and he played, he played a clip uh, from YouTube. I took the whole world. Heavyweight championship, like the way that he would say it. I went, oh shit, I didn't. Yeah, know. his voice. I haven't heard Penzer's voice in twenty years, but his. Oh, at the time, it was ten years, but he, he. It was so subliminal. Like I've been a wrestling fan for so long that I was taking from something subconsciously. I didn't even realize I was taking from someone, but at least the path kind of got started. Like, I kind of realized, okay, this is how I'm going to formulate what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to say it when I'm in the ring. This is the order I'm going to go in. And more importantly, I decided on what to stick with so that whatever company I went to, if I didn't know anybody, it didn't matter. I had my template. As long as I can fill in my template, I should be good. As the years go on, and as you know, sometimes you don't have the opportunity to do that. you got to think on your feet a little bit. That's where the experience comes in. But as a starter... I always tell people pretty much same thing you said is like you gotta you gotta use your voice you gotta use your stylings you gotta you gotta do it the way that you feel comfortable doing it and just see if it works out and then build from there. I mean, you've spent 18 years doing what you do, and yet still with that energy you bring and the way that the audience comes at you, I feel like it's the first time I'm seeing you every single time. I, I've I've gotten the privilege of being in the ring with you as you've done your stuff, and and it's not it's even better than when I'm backstage. Like when you introduced me and 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 my guys those few times that you have, it's 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 a privilege to me. I I appreciate it. I know how much work goes into it. I think I appreciated it more as a f- ring announcer myself to be ring announced by you i was like i see i that means more to me because <laughs> i'm in the trenches too and i was like that meant a lot so hey larry listen i gotta tell you i i hope you had fun doing this we've been on here for a while here uh i i didn't want to take up all of your time but i want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with me here tonight and to answer all of my questions um, do you have anything you uh, want to plug? Anything you guys got coming up um, that uh, people should look out for? Sure. ICW, January the 9th from Tampa, I'm sorry, Port Ritchie, Florida presents No Holds Barred Volume 9. Matches are still, actually, all the matches have been announced. Um, it'll be Schlack versus Ricky Shane Page. Um, Lindsay, Lindsay Snow against Alex Ocean. Um, and just announced uh, Satu Jin against the Honey Badger Pro Wrestling, Neil Diamond Cutter, uh, Nolan Edward against Brandon Kirk, along with Casey Catal. Uh, Riley Madison will be there. I'll be there. And it's going to, it's going to be a great time um, down in Tampa. That'll be streamed on IWTV. You can order it. Um, and, I mean, if you're in the Port Ritchie area, come on down. Um, also, uh, as you know, AJ, again, I'll shout you out. Just got your hands on a It's About to Go Down, Larry Legend t-shirt. Absolutely. I just tweeted, I just tweeted out an advertisement um, for the shirt with a lot of photos accompanying it, showing different 
fans of mine wearing it, uh, some with me. Um, but you can get that shirt just by DMing me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is BLKLKP. Again, that's <laughs> BLKLKP on Twitter. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Real Larry Legend. And um, you can also find me on Facebook as just Larry Legend. Um, other than that, not really too much. Oh, also Slamio, uh, the Indie Connection, a new new group of uh, a collective of you know people that love independent wrestling have, have started a new uh, personal greeting service called Slamio. I'm sure everyone's heard of Cameo. Well, there are a group <laughs> of wrestlers and wrestling personalities that have now lent their services to Slamio. And if you want to get me to record your voicemail or, you know, uh, send someone a very, very special happy birthday greeting, um, you can you can acquire my services on Slamio. So, yeah, I just want to shout out my next appearance, my uh, T-shirt that you can get from me and, you know, my appearance on Slamio and, you know, support me. I, I support y'all and I support this game. So uh, we can keep rocking and rolling right into 2021 together. Oh, please support this, man. I did it myself. I can't wait to get this shirt so I could tag Larry Legend to it and show the whole world it's about to go down. Thank you so much for being a part of the show here tonight. Folks, check out all that stuff that he just did. I'm going to look up the information uh, that you just put out. I'm going to put it in the description of this uh, episode so everyone gets a chance to take a look at it. Uh, so once again, brother, thank you so much. I can't wait to see you on the road. I'm going to give you my uh, social distance elbow tap, and then uh, we, <laughs> we can just sit down and, and bullshit around like we normally did. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks, AJ, for having me. Have a good night. You too. Have a good one. 100 episodes, now pay him. And make sure that you buy my husband's T-shirt at ProWrestlingTees.com slash A-J-O-U-N. Please, he needs this. Listen to my daddy's show. He's the best, so I don't know.